You're listening to the Tomato Tomato Podcast. This is a movie podcast. And this is a very special episode. But it's not like those very special episodes from TV shows in the 90s. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be running down the Best Picture nominations for the 2018 Oscars. Yay! And there will not be Scott Bayo, and there will not be some sort of preachy message about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have other preachy messages. Yes. Not really. Uh, but anyways, I am your co-host, Chris. And with me is... Jenna, your other co-host. The other co-host. So, uh, we previously had another episode that was kind of all about the general Oscar nominees. Uh, so I highly recommend you go back to that one in case Especially you don't know who's it nominated. It won't really matter in a couple of days. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we're getting this one out as soon as possible, since it is a very small window of time. But we know everyone's going to be talking about the Oscars and about who wins Best Picture. And honestly, this, from what I understand, this feels like a year where there's no clear winner, whereas in the past, it's always like down to like two movies. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like this is a year where I could see any of the nominees winning, apart from maybe a couple. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll get into it. So uh, we'll link to it in the description. We're using a, a little article from Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, so there are nine nominees. And if it you listen to this. Them based off of the tomato meter yeah. and all of that. So we're going to work our way from the lowest rated to the highest rated on a tomato meter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And nine nominees this year. And you've heard me rant enough about I don't like that number for Best Picture <laughs> well, nominees. Even when you pulled up the list, you're like, why isn't this a top 10 list? And I'm like, babe, it's because there's only nine nominees. But really, they should have like, they should have rounded it up to 10 or made it eight. Like yes. nine is kind of just a weird placement for it. And I don't think every movie on this list necessarily needed to be there and no. i also feel like there are other movies that could have been in its place i mean we talked about it's, it's, it's yeah it's like the equivalent of like here's a participation award or thanks for coming <laughs> you tried like hey we're, we're gonna give you like you're nominated in a bunch of other stuff so then we're gonna give you the prestige of being nominated for this exactly yeah but um, so there's a lot of there's quite a discrepancy between the lowest rated and the highest rated. There is. I wasn't expecting that much. Um, so starting with the lowest uh, rated Best Picture nominee is Darkest Hour. Which, by the way, everything on this list is certified fresh. Yes. So it's all still highly rated, but there's still, like, we've, we talk so much about the rating system and what it exactly means in terms of, a, like, how a movie is received and whatever. But it's just interesting to me that, like, this movie in particular has an 86, which feels kind of low in terms of Oscar bait. But with it this really movie does. in particular, I kind of get it because everyone that I know who has seen this was kind of underwhelmed by it. That seems the general uh, consensus to me, it, just from seeing people talk about it online and stuff. It's like, it really put the weight of the movie on Gary Oldman mm -hmm. as Winston Churchill, and it had nothing else going for it, really. Like, yeah. it was all on just Oldman's performance, um, which is kind of a pure Oscar bait thing. It's like, I'm going to exactly. get really into this character, 
smoke tens of thousands of dollars worth of cigars and put on a lot of prosthetics to where I don't look like myself. And every every TV spot that I saw for this movie looked like the little bit that they're going to show at the Oscars. Uh-huh. Like this is like the the scene that we're going to show right before uh, we reveal who the winner is. And, well, like, and it, I, yeah, I was so sick of the ads for this movie because like I work from home, the TV is on a lot. And it would be like every half hour, I would have to hear Gary Holdman screaming like, we want surrender. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up and let me work, please. Because it would just be constant. And I'm like, okay, dude, I get it. But he, he just is like blubbering kind of. And Yeah. And, like yeah. I, like Gary Holdman, he's a, he's a really good actor. And if he. Kind of a shitty person. Yeah, shitty person. Like he's a fucking chameleon. I mean, if you look at from. Harry Potter to Dark Knight to um, Fifth Element, like he he's really good at what he does, but it'd be weird if he won for this out of all things. Um, I really but don't. But it's like he which is weird. Yeah, I, I really don't see this winning for Best Picture. No. It's kind of the that prestige thing of you know old white guy story, so it's pure Oscar bait. Yeah, it's also kind of funny to me that this movie comes out and is in the best picture category the same year as Dunkirk because like I've heard of people who double featured this kind of like you can, Oh, I'm sorry for those people. That I sounds... know, but but the thing is is that you literally could cut you could cut the two movies together and you would get the same story because like the only thing that's missing from Dunkirk is like Churchill's response to it and then like the end of the movie is kind of them reading his big speech as it's published in the paper and then like this movie focuses on him writing that speech and ordering the stuff and whatever and it's just kind of funny it's like two things that kind of weave together to the same story but not no one intended on that they just made the same movie at the same time kind of I I never made that connection well I didn't see Dunkirk yeah. Uh, I just never got around to it. I wanted to see it, so I never kind of made that connection between the yeah. two. Yeah. I I like I didn't really know a lot about Churchill, so I was like, well, what's this movie about? And then the trailer is like, hey, it's Dunk like we're gonna do the Dunkirk thing. And I'm like, oh, that's weird to just be like, okay. It it, it would be like making a movie about like some sort of murder case or whatever and making like one one separate camp of people making one from like the murderer's perspective and one from the victim's perspective yes. and like making them at the same time and not realizing it <laughs> like it's just a weird coincidence in that way but yeah. yeah and like this movie has kind of a decent amount of rotten reviews it's like 35 or something yeah. yeah I I'm curious to see what the what kind of outlets rated it uh rotten let's see here new york times really new york times the film inquiry will world of real okay so a lot of these are smaller outlets the chicago reader san diego reader yeah globe and mail slant the irish times <laughs> uh national review roger ebert wow they didn't like it oh wow i mean he didn't like it because you know Okay. <laughs> uh, at, at home in You're just So see, this is the argument we made last week where I'm like, why are all these generic like film blogs that are exactly. just yeah. like, why are them, why are they on Rotten Tomatoes and other actual outlets aren't like, it's just so weird. It's, it's some of these sound like 
people just at home is like, I'm going to start a film blog, even yeah. though I have no credentials whatsoever to do so. Uh, and they're counted here. Exactly. It's just, uh, that bothers me so much. But that, I mean, that could factor into why it skews so low um, on the tomato meter I, I compared would, to the I rest. I would be curious, like, like again, a, a diverse array of reviewers would then, I think, give a completely different tomato meter score to this movie. I feel like it would be yeah. low if you brought in more diverse voices that aren't just white people. I feel like there would be a different conversation being had. And honestly, I feel like those more diverse voices are not going to give a shit about this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they're more interested in other, <laughs> I don't want to say better movies, but, but movies that appeal to them. Yeah, they're not going to just like tolerate white nonsense, which kind of, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, I don't need it to is, see this We white don't nonsense. care. We've had, we've had decades and decades worth of this white nonsense uh, Oscar bait movies. Let's yeah. let's get something else in there. Exactly. And continuing on to the next movie, the number eight ranked uh, at 88%, I feel is more of the same. Yeah. It's your Oscar bait. And that's not b because I, because, you know, she's casted in this movie. Meryl Streep. Eh, it's, <laughs> come on. You and Meryl. She, like, she can just walk into a room and people will throw Oscar nominations at okay, her. Okay, but honest to God, we talked about Meryl during our last Oscar episode and we said kind of that sentiment. And then the day after she got cast as Nicole Kidman's mom in Big Little Lies and I was like, holy fuck, I was <laughs> so excited. Because like that feels like something that she can excel at. But it also, I don't know, I feel like it just depends on what is being written for her to perform, I think. Because it's like... She always is, like, delivering a good performance, but it's just a difference of whether or not, like, her sort of doing her thing and arguably kind of just, like, phoning in in that Meryl Streep way actually, like, brings something good. And just, like, phoning in the, the annual Oscar joke of, like, and Meryl was nominated again? Yeah. Uh, oh, we get it. Yeah. And now I have some fresh material. Good Lord. <laughs> uh what do they say in this thing on Rotten Tomatoes? The Post may be all too easy Oscar bait, admitted the New York Post's uh, Sarah Stewart, but it's as satisfying and polished as you'd expect. It's a Steven Spielberg white nonsense clickbait that's <laughs> semi-relevant. I, I, I honestly don't mean to shit on this movie as much as I do. Yeah, I'm sure I, it's a, I'm sure I, it's a good I movie. That it is a like genuinely good movie. And the political relevance of it does kind of add a layer to it. But yeah, at the same time, it's just, it's very much like, I don't know. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, thank you, Spielberg, for putting Bob Odenkirk <laughs> and like <laughs> the supporting cast of this movie are like genuinely good, like funny people. Yeah. And it's so weird that he's like, okay, I'm going to put them all in this very serious <laughs> movie. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I will see this eventually. I wasn't like rushing to go see it at the theater, but like, yeah, this is this isn't the kind of movie that you know packs theaters. Exactly. Uh, it's the kind of movie where it's like, oh, it's on HBO this weekend. Let's watch it. Yeah, or or like, oh, it got put up on Netflix, and now it's like the big thing that's on that's new. To or Netflix. or it's the kind of movie it's like, oh, it was nominated. Well, I guess I feel obligated to watch it if I'm going to watch the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. 
that's also part of it too. I feel like a couple movies on this list kind of fall into that category. Which we'll get to the that's fully the next one on the list. Yeah. Um, do we want to anything else about the post? I I don't know. I mean, like I it's, I know I know I will like this movie when same. I see it, but it's just yeah. I'm not <laughs> in a rush to see it. Yeah, it's also just crazy to me that Spielberg was like is putting out like two movies in six months. And and they're totally like, like I am way more interested different. in Ready Player One than this. I don't have a lot of hope. My hope keeps dwindling as to whether or not Ready Player One will actually be good because the I, commercials are so ham-fisted that it kind of is worrying me. But like, I it, it's just so funny to me how diametrically opposed they both are. I've always been more interested in, in pulled to the big blockbuster side of Spielberg more so than the, the Oscar bait one. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, Jurassic Park is one of the best things he's ever done it's i it's more white nonsense <laughs> You're uh, not wrong yeah uh and continuing the white nonsense <laughs> train be someone who has seen all of these movies and is just like screaming at their device right now like you're getting this all wrong i know i know i honestly don't mean to sound like i'm hating these movies but it's like after year after year of having movies that are pure oscar bait that are like we're gonna take this well-known white actor he's gonna really commit to the role in, in some kind of period piece or just like long drawn out uh drama it's like it's the same thing every year like how many of these are we actually going to look back on and remember fondly yeah. it, they don't stick out like well and like I'm I'm gonna check a thing real quick because then I can make an argument about something. Let me see. Uh, so while you do that, I'll just vamp a little bit about Phantom Thread, which is yeah. number seven. It's ninety-one percent, so it's very fresh on the tomato meter. Uh, this is Daniel Day Lewis's his final bow, and then he's gonna go off to Italy and be a cobbler. Apparently. Uh, apparently. <laughs> This just feels like, like, um, my dad is a huge Kiss fan. He has gone to about seven farewell tours for Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> they keep saying that it's a farewell tour. And then they come back, like, eight, nine months later, and they're like, hey, surprise, we're going on tour again. We're not broken up, like breaking up or quitting. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, but everyone goes again. And so they've gotten to the point where they just stop labeling it a farewell tour. <laughs> until they don't want to and it's like it's serious this time we're done yeah exactly but like so an argument that i was gonna make is like so all of these white guy nonsense like period piece kind of thing of like oh i'm gonna play this big historical figure they like they seem to get noticed way more than the ones that don't have white people in them because I was just looking. I wonder why. Yeah, gee, I wonder why. But like the you know why gift is just what I'm thinking. But like I was just looking, like Chadwick Boseman's big thing before entering the MCU and still has been in the MCU is like 42, get on up. He did Marshall earlier this year. So Marshall has like a 3% difference from the darkest hour. And so Marshall I'm like, should have got more. Like, I don't know if the movies are 
better or worse than each other. I have not seen either, but it's just funny to me that like, or not funny, but it's just like the fact that all of these white kind of doing the bare minimum sort of period pieces get so much more attention than the other, like than ones that might be more creative and might be doing something more. So I, I'm, I, let me read this little snippet about like what Phantom Thread, the crux is this period drama about the complex relationship between a womanizing dressmaker and his muse lives up to those daunting expectations. I, I don't care about Daniel Day-Lewis womanizing <laughs> this younger, I just, it's, it sounds creepy and I don't care. It sounds not interesting at all. I don't. Every but at, then again, uh, everyone I know who has seen this did say it was good, but like... I'm sure it is, but it's like there's so many more interesting stories and diverse voices I would rather see before this. Yeah, that that is a very good way of putting it, but let me see. Let me look at like the info. This devish, devish, I can't. Devishly. There we go. <laughs> Words are hard. Funny and luxurious. Oh my God, Dana Stevens, you smaller words. I haven't had coffee yet. Here, this devilishly funny and luxuriantly sensuous film is so successful as that it is hard to stop and notice the extreme degree of craft that went into its construction. I don't need you know, sensuous. I felt like shit last night and I could say that clearly. But yeah. I don't need, I mean, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis is handsome, but I don't need sensuous thrown in there too. <laughs> This just feels like the vibe that I get from this movie is like you you rent it at home and like light some candles and like eat some fancy cheese and drink some wine or whatever. Yeah, like I like, got a cheese plate from the fancy grocery yeah, store. Let like, me like indulge myself. Fancy. Yeah, it's like an indulgence kind of. Like that's just kind of the gist I get from this movie. I this like, is the I, kind of movie where I know I'm going to be looking at my phone a yeah. third of the way in. It's like I I like I admire what Paul Thomas Anderson does, but he he kind of a lot of his movies have that for me. Like the um the master is one that I remember really liking when I watched it, but I was on my phone half the time. <laughs> And then I was like, wait, I shouldn't be doing this. And I kept putting it away. But the movie was two and a half hours long and had That's a lot of holes in it. And so then I'm just like, okay. But I don't, it, it, Daniel Day Lewis womanizing should be at, <laughs> at most 90 minutes. <laughs> you're if, you're like, not, if you're not. If you're not seduced by Daniel Day Lewis within 90 minutes, just he shouldn't move on. <laughs> just find someone else. <laughs> But but yeah, it, it has a total of twenty three rotten reviews out of two hundred and sixty one. Let's see what the rotten reviews look like. Uh, so fresh fiction, good times, Santa Cruz, what what Malibu <laughs> time, Globe and Mail, hey, hey, Huffington Post did not like it. Huh? Uh, they say it's more literate, better acted, <laughs> more tastefully presented version of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a smart person's 50, 50 shades that's what yeah, it is it's like it's like the me and intellectual meme yeah like as a movie yeah uh, from national review feel good <laughs> is not the sensation anderson seeks to induce more like feel inclined to burn down the movie theater okay, that is kind of true though because like the master is a movie that made me feel that way even as i was watching <laughs> it at home i was like i 
I feel bad about what's happening on screen. It's well done, but it's like grossing me out almost in a way because it's just really intense. Yeah. yeah. It, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I would want to see what Paul Thomas Anderson does with um, the Titans because I know that he wants to do that. Like someone yes. it in an interview and he's like, yeah, I would do Teen Titans. And I'm like, I would pay money to see what his pitch for that would be. Yes. It would be weird as fuck, and I would just want to see what it would be. It'd be like Darren Aronofsky's Batman thing. That, that would have been weird as hell. Yeah. So, oh, God. Okay. Sorry, so, are, we, are we moving on to the yeah, next one? Or do you... on. We're moving on. Okay. So, the next one. Yes. I, I hate that I still haven't seen this yet. No. I lead a very busy life. Yeah. Not really. Uh, but Shape of Water, 92%. It's just edging out phantom thread by uh, one point. Again, it's kind of a testament to what we've said on other episodes where it's like the act of going to a movie theater is hard and as much as i want to see this the most of the times that i've gone to the movie theater it's been to see superhero movies well that's part of it too because it, it this the superhero big blockbusters are kind of like that appointment tv kind of thing yeah, where like something an- where something like the post is something where it's like, oh, that looks really good. I'm going to make a note to watch that when it comes to Netflix or Amazon. Yeah. There's not like a phenomenon factor around it, kind of. Yes. There, there, there's there, not that whole communal thing. It's like, we're all going to wear our Phantom Thread t-shirts and Daniel Day-Lewis merch and go to the theater. It's, Daniel Day-Lewis. That would be a kind of funny party, though, of like, <laughs> as your favorite Daniel Day-Lewis. Just don't dress as a Mohican because that's cultural appropriation. Yes, it is. But but yeah, like uh, neither of us have sh- seen The Shape of Water. We need to. I feel like depending on how many things it wins, it's probably going to have that thing where it like stays in the theater way longer because like they brought it back once the nominees were announced. Yeah. They brought it into more cities and I'm like, please let that continue so that I can see it when I'm not as busy because I, I, I need to see it. I was honestly kind of surprised that this got so many nominations as it did, because usually Del Toro is overlooked and he's that genre guy, and this is a genre movie, and it's about a woman fucking a fish man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Graceful way of (laughs) going. But that is how Del Toro definitely pitched it to the studio. Oh, absolutely. It's like, hey, hey, what if Abe Sapien could get it? Exactly. He already could. And they're Uh, like, all right, here's all the money. (laughs) It's weird because it has all those kind of trappings of typical Oscar bait where you have Michael Shannon, a well-known white actor. It's a period piece. It has very nice uh, production quality and costuming. And cinematography. But but then you also have a woman hooking up with a fish. Yeah. You also have Octavia Spencer who is like unbelievably underrated which we have said before yeah (laughs) we have mentioned before many times on this podcast get her out of supporting roles and have her in a leading role like it's it's upsetting i love jessica chastain for doing the whole thing of like i'm going to negotiate to make sure that she gets as good of a salary as i do yes like yeah we need more of that we need more of her in like genuinely like starring roles and stuff but like yeah, it's just I I really I'm glad that this movie is doing well. I I know that I'm going to really enjoy it. And I'm really hopeful that it will win stuff. Like I know Del Toro is kind of the front runner for best director, 
which is crazy to me because it's yes. like a long time coming. But yeah, because I remember watching Pan's Labyrinth for the first time and just being royally fucked up by it in the <laughs> best way. Uh huh. That was like, holy shit, I love this guy. I'm going to follow him. Well, like every movie that he does is that kind of quality to it. And yeah, I just, this movie has so many things about it that I know I love already, even though I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but there are some people who don't. It has like some 26, 26 rotten reviews. Um, let's see, one of the rotten reviews from GameSpot. How, <laughs> okay. But with all its <laughs> grandeur like, and charm, and my brain was like, "What?" <laughs> uh, with all its grandeur and charm, the fact that this is a love story between a man and a monster is too ridiculous to ignore. You're missing the point. Yeah, I feel it, like um, yeah, expansive imagination, but his limitations as a storyteller have created a film that is beautifully uh, that is beautiful, but cluttered, visionary, but formulaic. This breaks the formula because the woman never fucked the monster before. And she's also mute and yes. sign language and all of that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like think pieces that I've seen about this movie and the, the steps that it kind of does. Like it represents like female masturbation in a way that isn't normally yeah. seen in movies and all this sort of stuff. Like they're like Del Toro is totally doing his Del Toro thing of like slipping weird things into his movies that are kind of groundbreaking, but that not everyone might regard as such because they just don't realize it. Yes. But yeah. It, these reviews. So yeah, I feel like a lot of them are just missing the, the mark and the point of yeah. the movie and kind of the, the nuance and they're just kind of get, lost in the the visual aspect like yeah the visuals are good but i think uh the story didn't grab me it seems yeah. to be the general consensus among the negative reviews yeah it's <sighs> I, I i want this movie to do well like i have hope that it will do well and stuff Same. i'm kind of rooting for it as one of the few like nominees in the race but... and i'm just rooting for it for i mean for all the reasons we stated but just from a genre point of view yeah i, I hope it wins because as i've already said the oscar best picture names are full of white dude clickbait movies um well, so I'm... it'd be nice to have it opened up well, and like even when we were talking about the nominees or like before the nominees, when we were talking about the Golden Globes, you were like, yeah, there's no chance that Shape of Water will get nominated because Best Picture is not normally a place for genre films. And then like this proved you wrong. It became like the really most did. nominated movie. So I just I hope that that's like a, a good indication of what's to come and that more genre movies can kind yeah. of fit into that box. Yeah, like, it was a surprise to be sure, but I, I could wholeheartedly. This is a really early prediction, and we were wrong about this last year. But I could see Black Panther getting a lot of stuff this time next year because the cultural significance of it all, and the amount of people who like are genuinely impressed that a Marvel movie is capable of this and whatever. Like I know we said that about Wonder Woman and Logan. I was just gonna say, yeah. But I, but my I'm only so thing though is because Wonder. If Wonder Woman had been nominated for anything, yeah. well, uh, I, I would have said, yeah, Black Panther has a solid chance. But after Wonder Woman, I still feel like the the Oscars, the, the, the people who vote for these things are still edging closer towards genre movies. Uh, and Shape of Water is a step in that direction. 
but it'll take time for the big uh, comic blockbusters to get there. It's just like an early prediction, but I feel like yeah. the, the flashpoint of Black Panther is almost on the level of the Dark Knight kind of, and I feel I wouldn't be surprised if it gets more, at least like from a writing standpoint, or it'll get all the production nominations. Yeah, all the technical awards, it'll it'll yeah. be nominated for but those like, for sure. But like the Academy loves Coogler, so I don't yes. feel like it's completely out of the question. But yeah, let's pivot to the worst <sighs> movie on this list that we have complained a lot about before, but we still need to complain about. So it's tied with Shape of Water at 92%, three billboards. Uh, I don't care for Fox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best thing this movie did was it inspired the kids in Parkland to park like billboards outside of Marco Rubio's yes. office. Like that is the one good thing to come out of this movie being talked about all the time. This is another one of those movies in that follows. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the movie, which is Phantom Thread. Yeah, where it's like we're going to take these well-known white actors. <clears throat> throw them in a movie and they're just going to act because they do it well. And yeah, I just don't care. It's, it's stuff that like feels more like a play than it, it does. does. This like, really feels like it should be a billboards. Cause like three billboards is written and directed by a playwright. So that kind of like, you can feel that kind of essence kind of carrying through some of these movies, but like, yeah, I just, ugh. It has 24 rotten reviews out of 312. Where are those rotten reviews? Because I... Uh, they come from National Post, Cinemascope, Daily Beast, Malibu yeah. Times, Another Gaze, The Ringer, Village Voice. So a lot of smaller outlets. Collider. Collider, yeah. National Review has popped up on, on here a lot. They really <laughs> like, have. Kyle they do not like movies. Not like, Kyle Smith in particular does not like the Oscar bait. <laughs> I'm curious to see what uh, he does like, Kyle. So if you want to give us a tweet. Well, and so another name that has popped up is a name that we mentioned in last week's episode, Armand. He has popped up on every thing in a negative way, but I will not highlight a particular blurb, he says, until we get to another movie on this list. Because one okay. of the blurbs was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, it's the thing that kind of made me start laughing before we started recording. But, yeah, uh, I just like three billboards maybe marketed as a tragic comic movie uh, about maternal rage, but it's also a problematic faux progressive mess. Exactly. Yeah. It it has this like lofty message that it's trying to get across, and I feel like I'd be much more interested in this movie, and it'd be much more effective at what it's trying to say if the people involved were POC. Exactly. And like um, the Daily Beast, I remember reading this review when the embargo kind of lifted because um, Ira Madison has a lot of like interesting perspectives on stuff. And he says, um, Sam Rockwell plays a violent and racist cop who finds redemption not through owning up to his crimes, but because he's determined to solve the mystery. It's an attempt that of a myth of an emotional manipulation that runs cold and a journey that is played for comedy. And exactly. It's like, it's just white, overly white, overly... <laughs> This movie know. would be so much more interesting and would get so much more traction if Frances McDermott was not in this and she was re replaced with, I don't know, Octavia Spencer. <laughs> Just someone of color. Someone who, if they want like social or political relevance, have that character be someone of color who whose daughter is killed 
and is seeking justice from corrupt racist cops. But see, then that would be a completely different movie. Like Which is better. I know, I know. It it would be a better movie, but like the whole the whole the fact that they're both white is like seems to be just like the the foundation that then the rest of the story is built on. But I do think there's a more interesting story, especially if you still set it in a small town, if you have it like the main character be a POC and you have it be that whole thing instead of just white savior kind of nonsense and fridging a female character and all this sort of stuff just to tell this overly white story. Yeah. Eh. Uh, I'm just scanning over the reviews again. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's a masterful performance, but for me, not enough to make me a fan of the film. Like, I don't see this being something that's like, oh, remember Three Billboards? It's going to be remembered for the memes, really. Yeah, it's going to be remembered for the hatred kind of towards it. Like, okay, last year, there was the whole, like, Moonlight versus La La Land thing, which, like, I get why people shat on La La Land. I still really like it as a movie, but I do get that parts of it were kind of problematic in a way, but nowhere near as bad as this. And so like this feels like a very clear, like villain movie for everyone to kind of hate this award season. And yet it still keeps winning. I still feel like it has a lot of fans though in the the blogosphere. Yeah. I just, Uh, I, I, I know like one or two people who have seen it, like just average people who don't normally keep up with movies. And they both were like white ladies who were very, very like turned off by what was presented. Really? They didn't think that it was going to be the movie that it was. And then they were like, Oh no, I'm not okay with this at all. Uh, Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad it's not falling into the trap of kind of uh, white feminism. Yeah, exactly. Or like, oh well, I'm gonna look overlook all of these problems that it has just yeah. because of reasons or whatever. Uh, yeah. So continuing the Mayo train, yes. uh, despite us and being fans of Christopher Nolan, we despite this being the only best picture nom <laughs> I have seen, <laughs> he Christopher Nolan. He's a really good filmmaker but he's just, he's really good at making white movies. Yes. He, he's I really remember. good at that. And I'm a fan of his yeah. whole filmography. I've only, there's only two movies of his I haven't seen. That's Dunkirk and the one with Robin Williams that I'm blanking on the title now. Oh, uh, now I'm blanking on it too. <laughs> uh, but that one. Uh, so Dunkirk, it's 93%. It has 28 rotten reviews out of 374. Insomnia is what you're saying. Insomnia, that's it. I have not seen that one. Me neither. Um, yeah, it, I, I saw Dunkirk on the big screen, and I counted two people of color in the entire movie. Like, <laughs> I deliberately looked, and there are, like, two soldiers in the background who are not white. And I was like, where is their story? Because that isn't... <laughs> story to be told told if you're in a sea of white boys basically (laughs) and like i don't know i feel like that i i know that he didn't want to approach that since he is a white director and very white movies in his filmography but i feel like he he knows his strengths and he just plays to those i don't think he he has the the mentality or the the brain to kind of do a nuanced story uh, with POC characters or a story about the POC experience. 
Yeah, which I I don't want him to, but I'm just yeah. like I would be curious to see what a, a director of color or a female director would do with the story of Dunkirk yes. and how different it would be. Because also my big thing with Dunkirk was like I enjoyed it, but the narrative of it all is confusing as all get out. Like Jesus yeah. fucking Christ, it is confusing. <laughs> and yet I am the person. I'm like I'm the type of person who follows this kind of stuff and would be aware of like trying to pick up all the pieces and whatever. And even then it was like a conscious effort on my part to figure out what, like what things were doing and where things were going. And I don't know, like it was, it was a choice, I guess. And I kind of commend him for it because he didn't do it horribly, but it wasn't the choice that I necessarily would have made. Yeah. I'm having not seen it. Is it kind of like, uh, like a, a chopped up narrative like oh my god i'm losing <laughs> brain cells today like um memento yeah was- it's it, so it kind of it follows all of these vignettes where it'll be like 10 minutes of following this one character and then you pivot to another character and then you realize where they are in the chronological order like if, if you okay and spliced it up in a chronological order it would be a completely different movie but a lot of the um a lot of the stakes kind of midway through the movie up until the end is built on things being told out of order and kind of, Oh, well, how are they going to get out of this situation? And then you have to wait like another 10 minutes to figure out. Cause now you're going to go watch Tom Hardy fly a plane around. So it's just I'm, like, I'm kind of not surprised that he did, did that as a stylistic choice because everything outside of the dark Knight trilogy has uh, something like that in terms yeah. of, Shopping up the narrative and and having you form the connections and the relationships as you go, and, and especially in something like Inception or Interstellar, yeah. Memento. But like, I found Inception easier to follow than I than this was because a lot of it is a. There's so many white actors that are just <laughs> relatively the same that you can't really tell what's what you can't tell that tom hardy is in this movie until the very end like when he takes off his mask because it's totally a bane situation he's he's obsessed with tom hardy not being able to talk coherently but like and like it's a well done thing but the narrative choice is just so weird because it's all just chopped up and all over the place yeah so i don't know it's like it it almost like begs a rewatch in a way because you can put the pieces together, but then I'm like, that's not necessarily a good thing. I I, I like this one little snippet of a review from Phil of the ABC Tucson. (laughs) A World War II movie, your dad will fall asleep watching on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Even like, if this was a movie, this, this is definitely a movie where you could like, watch it with your whole family and not have to worry about a content rating or anything. But even then, unless someone is super invested in what's going on, they're not going to give a fuck. Like, yeah. So uh, Kevin Carr of fat guys at the movies, he says Dunkirk is a great last half of a movie, but alone is an emotionless vacuum. And I, I feel like that's a, general critique of Nolan movies, how it kind of lacks an emotional hook, which I I tend to disagree with, with some of the movies, but uh, he he's really good at creating 
Yeah, how do I word phrase this? <laughs> He's good at crafting stories, but they might like a little emotion. I think the most emotional one was Interstellar that he's made. Yeah. Um, he's good at crafting like a spectacle. Yeah, a practical spectacle. That's what he he's really yeah. good at. He, using, I'm, I'm sure he would have started a war just for <laughs> to have a practical <laughs> well, like, effect. He almost did. Like there's so much of this movie that they like filmed as on location or as close to on location as possible. And it that that element of it is genuinely impressive. But like, it's just, I don't know. I, I commend him on his effort. It's just the story of it all is just a weird direction to take it. Yes. But, yeah, he also, I, I do commend him for bringing a genuinely good dramatic performance out of Harry Styles. Cause I remember when I saw that movie, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, was like I was like, oh yeah, Harry Styles. He'll just be in the background hamming it up. But he's like a genuine part of one of the vignettes of the story. And he's really fucking good. And I'm like, what is happening to me? If, if any other director had cast him, I would have been skeptical. But since it was Nolan, uh, I was like, cool. He must have seen something in this kid. Well, like he, he compared him to Heath Ledger in a way. I don't think he was even aware of his One Direction history. No, he was just like, this is a dude, and I'm just going to put him in my movie. And then it's like, oh, shit, I just cast, like, the biggest <laughs> pop star in the world in my movie and made him cut off his hair, which, like, sent the, like, teenage girls everywhere into this big frenzy because they were like, holy yes. shit, he cut off his hair. But it was the biggest scandal since Wes's name left. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, yeah, it's just... It's an interesting, like, there's so many choices that Nolan made that are so uniquely Nolan, in a way. And I, I like it for that, but I also know that the movie has its problems. Yeah, so I, I don't see this one winning, it, It's, but I'm not surprised that it's nominated. I'm like, it, it could win cinematography, but goddamn it, give it to Roger Deakins. Yeah. Like, just let him have this, please. Like, come on. Uh, and so... This next one, I it's, it's it falls into that category of we're just happy to be nominated, <laughs> uh, and we know you'll forget about us in a month. Uh, is call me by your name. I don't think it necessarily okay, but also I guess my sample is a little biased because the people I know who have responded this, to this movie are <laughs> like LGBT people on Tumblr. <laughs> So mm -hmm. I, I see gift sets for this movie and like talk about this movie from the kind of like film Twitter and film Tumblr kind of aspect of it. And I, everyone I know from that, like from that section really likes it. So like I, this is another one where I'm sure it's a good movie. It, yeah. it, it has representation that has been lacking yeah. uh, in this category. But it's kind of, uh, it, I feel like if I go up uh, to 20 people on the street and ask them about this movie, they, they won't know what it is. Yeah. I um, I feel like that's valid. It's almost too twee in a way. Yes. Like uh, the, the soundtrack is all, um, fuck, I can't say his name, Sufjan Stevens. How okay. you say yeah. I feel like such a bad white person <laughs> for not knowing how to pronounce his name. But like it, it yeah, it's very, very, very indie from my understanding of it yes. all. And like, it, it looks 
great and like because like the commercials and the gift sets and stuff I see of it look really stunning and I'm like I, I like that the story is being told I like that this is a movie that's part of the conversation but I also know it's such a small part of the conversation but I also feel yeah because there are so many nominees this is gonna <laughs> fall by the wayside it's gonna get yeah. lost in the clutter yeah, this um, does feel like a it's happy to be nominated situation because the, the main kid in it, everyone's like, he's a rising star and he can only go up from here kind of thing. And so I feel like this is kind of that opportunity to like yeah get him more exposure. And then from there, he can kind of go on and do whatever he wants and maybe win an Oscar way down the line. Exactly. Like this is him kind of getting his name out there. Yeah. Um. Like, uh, I was, I had a joke in mind, but I can't remember names. <laughs> I was going to say like that one guy from that black and white movie, like five years ago, the artist, the artist. remember the lead guy from that? He won no. best actor. Exactly. No one gave up. Okay. Like the artist was such a weird thing. It was so uniquely like a, a Oscar bait thing. It was that movie. Oh, like it was that movie where your friend was like, oh, did you see the artist? I'm really artsy now. I'm into indie movies. I know what I'm talking about. And then six months later, they're at the big blockbuster movie. And it's like, fuck yeah. Yeah. It's fuck like, indie movies. <laughs> like, but like the artist was such a weird, it was like, oh, remember that? And then everyone's like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess that was a thing that we all focused on for like two weeks, kind of. Yes. But like, this doesn't feel like that kind of movie to, to me, but it, I don't know. It feels more. I'm trying to think of an example. I feel like it won't. If for the general Oscar crowd, yeah. it won't be. But for that LGBTQ audience, it'll definitely like. This is our movie. This is we we have representation in this category. It, it's on a a big stage for to reach people. Yeah. Um, it only has twelve rotten reviews, which is impressive. It is very impressive. Um. And this one re rotten review from Tony Macklin of <laughs> totally TonyMacklin.net. Oh no, that sounds like like um, Jerry from Parks and Rec was. Yeah. I'm going to be Burt Macklin's brother, <laughs> and then it went from there. So this is a little snippet from his review. Most reviewers love it. I don't. What the fuck? <laughs> That's the whole thing right there. That he gave it a two out of five. At, at least he's being Tony honest. Tony Macklin. He is being honest. And honestly, he looks like the kind of guy that wouldn't like this movie. Holy shit, he looks like Herschel from he the does. head. I can't tell if that's a fedora or a cowboy hat. I think it's it a fedora. Ah, uh, that doesn't surprise me. <sighs> yeah. Well, and then like this other review is funny. It says it's it's like sitting through your oversharing neighbor's two hour vacation slideshow. <laughs> oh god, fucking Armand is here again. So I, I'm just so this is us uh, me critiquing the tomato thing again. So he, uh, this guy Macklin Tony Macklin, he rates things out of five. Yeah. So he he gave Call Me by Your Name a two. And that's rotten. Uh -huh. And then I Tanya, he gave a three out of five, and that's fresh. Well, because it, it's such that uh, weird yeah. thing where it's a one point thing, and it's. Uh, but see that I'm not going to get another tangent. Point, that like half a point matters. Like, yes, the point and a half of the difference between the two matters. I feel like 
yeah. don't know. Just, the metrics are so hit or miss, and it's so weird to me. Like if he did this out of out of ten, yeah, I feel then like it's a more consistent thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but come on, Tony. I feel like honestly, half star rating should be a more common thing. It really should be. Don't be afraid to use halves. I people. also say that as a person who, at my work, I have to rate things uh, occasionally out of five, and we can't use half star ratings, and it bothers me because I want to in okay. instances. Because it's like, I, I more often than not, I round up because I'm just trying to be nice and like to whatever the thing is that I'm reviewing. But there are there have been a couple of cases where I'm like, I would give this a two and a half instead of a three, yeah. but I don't want to do that. So. Someone who I feel like is diametrically opposed to using halves because yeah. he's very much dealing in absolutes. Armand. I know. I said he's here again. Armand. He's like, Come on, man. <laughs> he's just always here. This he's is following us here. now. So what he, he says about Call Me By Your Name, uh, compared with ellipses, any number of films dealing with down to earth sexual feelings that go wild, Call Me By Your Name is trite few recent films have so bluntly proclaimed moral pessimism. Okay. <laughs> what are you trying? Uh, oh my God, Armand, come on, dude. But yeah, I know I'll see this movie eventually in part because Army Hammer wearing like loose fitting shirts <laughs> and shorts and stuff, <laughs> living his best life just looks like something I would want to watch. Yeah. So I'll, I'll watch this movie eventually and I'm sure I'll like it. Uh, I'm just scanning over more of the rotten reviews that it has. I'm just, Tony, goes right to the point. <laughs> Armin, Armin needs to learn from TonyMacklin.net. <laughs> just get right to the point. Be concise. Say what you mean. Don't, don't try to sound intelligent. Well, and don't, like, make everything about politics. Yes. It, it's just a fucking movie sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We are putting our fists down. I, this is where I draw the line with fucking Armand. Yeah. Um, Anyways. So the second movie on our list, on this list, is tied for the highest rated. It is. Yeah. So Lady Bird, which was at one point the highest rated movie, and then like these four negative reviews drug it back down. <laughs> uh, so it's Greta Gerwig's. Uh, this is her directorial debut right i i think she's done like other indie stuff before let me see okay i feel like that's gonna bother me um, um yeah it's 99 percent. only four reviews out of 295 let's see what these rotten reviews have to say uh so yeah this is not outlets are these outlets are just people's blogs cole, I know. Smith, cole smithy he has the dot com he doesn't have the dot net like yeah. tony ColeSmithy.com <laughs> did a video essay, and that counted as a rotten review. He gave it a C plus. A C plus on the tomato meter is fresh still. What the fuck? No, it's not. Isn't no, it? it's rotten. No. Sixty percent. It would be though. like a C. a C plus. I don't know. I, I feel like, like a C plus is. I don't know. I feel like it, anything that's six, below a B has to be like. Isn't sixty percent still fresh? It has to be like sixty-five or sixty-six. I think. Doesn't a C plus fall in that know. range? I don't know math. It's just we're finding another flaw. Yes, <laughs> we are. The number system does not really work, and part no. of it is it's like, oh, I'm going to rate it 
out of five. I'm going to rate it out of four. I'm going to rate it out of ten. I'm going to give it a letter. Like, Stephen Colbert does a bit on his show where he plays, like, a YouTube movie reviewer who's just this crazy dude that lives alone with eight cats. And then his reviews for movies are, like, the most asinine thing ever. (laughs) It's like, I didn't like X-Men Apocalypse because... Because, like, some of the characters' names are too obvious. Like, Magneto, obviously deals with magic with magnets and whatever but professor x should be called like mind reader guy or whatever and then he'll go i'm gonna give it three pizza rolls out of a whatever like it's the most yeah. asinine ratings it feels very similar to we're getting close to that how, point yeah i give but, it three totinas pizza rolls out of five exactly but but yeah check out uh, all those, those so ernesto yeah. of Reforma, he says, this film has achieved some notoriety for the cultural climate that Hollywood is experiencing at this time. If Hollywood wanted to nominate a woman, they could name Eliza Hittman or Catherine Bigelow. I don't understand. So he's faulting this movie for not nominating other no, he's women? he's faulting. He's saying that, in his opinion, this isn't the strongest female director to nominate. Which, like, okay, Catherine Bigelow did that Detroit movie, which apparently ended up being way more racist than it was trying to be. Um, so I'm just like, I don't know. Yes, there yes, there are other female directors. Yes, we've argued on this podcast over and over again that Patty should have been nominated. But it, it's stupid to be like, oh, well, we're going to tear down Greta Gerwig for being the one that got through. It's Yeah, it's this whole thing is like, we want uh, representation, not oh, that not, that, not that kind. Not that kind. We want the right people. Are the people? Yeah, we're gonna cherry pick. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just uh, the other. Uh, it is an unfortunate game in which a film seeks its identity while chasing a ghostly character who, in turn, seeks their own personality. Just like its title character, Lady Bird is quirky and sentimental, but despite best attempts, never really defines itself into anything meaningful. Which is weird because everyone I know who has seen this is like deeply moved by it. I've I've been meaning to see this, but I was like, I'm not gonna go see this in the theater and like have it completely fuck up my life. Because <laughs> I knew it would like make me reevaluate things. But then again, <laughs> this is one of those movies where I don't know if I'd go out of my way to see it in theaters. Yeah, I unless, it, un, unless if I have something like Movie Pass, yeah, I'm not gonna. I can wait, and I <laughs> I commend you, Greta, for making this an hour in 33 minutes. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm looking at you, um, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> You're acting like he made that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, put, he knows that he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, to. Do we want to go to the last? Yes. Uh, so I, I also I don't think Lady Bird's going to win. Oh, I also will say one thing about Lady Bird. I feel like the, I feel like people are belittling it because it's like a coming of age, like female coming of age story and whatever. And yet we have so many like male coming of age stories that get heralded as this big thing and are seen as like tent poles of popular culture and whatever. But then but like, gee, I wonder why just misogyny it's just classic misogyny but so i don't get why this movie i mean it hasn't really had to like fight for its place in here but Your fucking boyhood just opened the doors like hey uh, you you mentioned one of my horcruxes <laughs> fuck boyhood oh my god i hate that movie with every fiber of my being but like exactly that was the most bland 
coming of age story. But we filmed it over decades. Yeah, I that can make them for trying to do that, but it did not make a good movie. It's an so, unnecessarily complicated style choice that really added nothing. It also took three hours of my life. It's Whereas something like Lady Bird, it's a unique female voice with a strong lead actress in the role, but it has to fight to to get recognized because it it's a movie made by women for with, women and for women for everybody really, but like it's saying it's telling a, a female story exactly. But to the old white guys in the academy, it's like oh. We don't care. We can't relate to this because it's, it's like, not about it's us. Nominate it because it's because it seems cute to do that or whatever. Exactly. Like I think the hype around it kind of helped it in terms of the like Oscar nominations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping that Greta it just kind of really takes off after this. Yeah, and... I, I, she's, she's mentioned wanting to do a franchise movie before, and I'm like, please just give her a superhero something. Like, yeah. like I there there's a lot of options right now for Batgirl, which by the way we predicted. Thank fuck that we predicted this movie <laughs> Batgirl with like ten minutes to spare. We predicted it, and then it happened. But yep. like, there are so many different female writers and directors and stuff that I really I genuinely want to see what they would do with Batgirl because I feel like every single person would be drastically different. And that would be yes. a really cool thing to see. And she's one of those people. Like, I feel like she could write kind of a, like, admittedly kind of just generic Barbara Gordon story. But I feel like it would have kind of the, it, it would kind of get like the spunk of what is in the comics and stuff. Yes. And I think it would be kind of cool to see how she does that. But. And then uh, this last one diametrically opposite from everything else on this list yes. in terms of story, the people who make this movie, the people who star in this movie uh, at 99% get out. Yes. We are horrible people. It's This has been out for a year. I still have not seen it. <laughs> so I have it set to, so it's on HBO now. Oh, I, have okay. it, I have it set to record. Awesome. I think it's recording today. It's on that, like, I don't know when, but so I'm hopefully going to watch it soon. I'm just really bad with seeing movies unless they're the big, the blockbuster movies where I have to buy tickets in advance. Yeah. If it feels like, I don't know. And like this, this did feel like the closest thing to an event, but it was kind of an event that snuck up on everyone. Because when yes. this came out, it was like, holy shit, get out is really good. Go see it. But no one had really been expecting that when it came out, like, or beforehand, I think. Yes. So it, admittedly, because I just wanted to like know what people are talking about. I, I've read the synopsis of this movie. Uh-huh. But I still feel like it's so well done that even when I do see it, I'm not going to be like, oh, I saw that coming. I'm still going to be engaged by yeah, it. Yeah, I know the entire storyline. Yeah. I had that spoiled to me a while ago. And I don't care because it seems like such a genuinely good story. That yeah, it, it almost feels to me like, so like, 
I was burned badly by early episodes of Black Mirror, but then there are certain episodes of Black Mirror, like Sandra Napero and all of that, where if I read the synopsis beforehand and I know that something won't really trigger me or fuck me up in a really negative way, then I will watch it and I will still enjoy the hell out of it, even though I kind of know where the story is going. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so how many negative reviews does this have? Let's see. Three. Three out of 300. And guess That's what impressive. Armand? Yes. Armand? Is it Armand? Yes. God fucking damn it, Armand. <laughs> I'm so done with you. Look at, look at, even in his picture, he's like mocking me. <laughs> he's like, like, hey, guess I'm what? Smart. I hate everything. He's, and he, he is the kind of person who, who gets off on being smug and disliking things. Yes. He's a hipster in that regard where it's like, I, li I don't like things and I'm going to sound smart about not liking things. So I'm cool. No, you're not. I just Take off your sweater vest and go home. I just clicked on it. The title of his review is The Return of the Get Whitey Movie. Get Out, Get Out is a horror comedy for Black History Month. Blah, 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 blah. Um... Well, like the blurb here says, it's a it's a comedy sketch in which serious concerns are debased. I don't think that's true. I think that, from my understanding, this movie nails so many things well through the fact that it approaches it in a genre way. Like, which oh, is thinking the point, one which thing, is, and it's something completely different, and it says so much more while still being a horror movie. Yes, yes. This is why good, like, science fiction or fantasy... Uh, is so effective is because it hides social relevance and those kind of things in bigger spectacle fucking frankenstein yeah uh, uh, batman's v superman all these movies hide fucking jurassic park even hide these social things these big question things in spectacle and i love that and jordan peele does that so well and i i know why that's why cbs was like hey do yeah. you want to do twilight zone for us i know it's like i was so apprehensive about a twilight zone reboot until he got attached and i'm like okay i get it now because i know that whatever like he he has to have ideas in mind of what to do which makes me really excited to see what exactly they are and we could potentially get like a whole series of get outs Exactly. Yeah. Well, like he wants to make more like there. He's going to start, I think, later this year on the next like get out type movie, which is yeah. fantastic. I love how he just I know he wanted to do it, but this pivot of him being this sketch actor and writer to I'm going to make these kinds of movies now. Yeah. And I'm just going to do it and no one can tell me not to. Yeah. I is really commendable kind of. I was, okay, so I'm looking at um, Armin's review. It calls it a race comedy. It uh, peels self-congratulatory <sighs> revenge humor has one particularly notable irony. It's tailored to please the liberal status quo. His pace seems slow largely because the jokes are obvious. Uh, <sighs> reducing racial politics to a straight <sighs> horror comedy. It's an, it's an Obama movie for Tarantino fans. Oh my god, Armand. Uh, You're so annoying. I don't get it, Armand. Oh god, he's on Twitter. Uh so I'm I'm just looking through Armin's reviews to see yeah. what he has given movies. 
Uh, has I'm he just given curious. anything a positive rating? He has. So his positive ratings out of the movies that we know, he. Oh my god! Of oh god, course he did. Oh god! He gave the fifteen seventeen to Paris a fresh rating. Well, because he writes for like a conservative outlet, so of course they're gonna bust a nut over Clint Eastwood's weird yeah. movies. Yeah, oh, he rated Darkest Hour positively. Not surprising. He. Oh god damn it! What? He said Justice League was fresh. Damn it, Armin. God damn it. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? He said he gave a fresh rating to Lady Bird. Uh, don't do this to me, Armin. Armin, no. I, normally I would be like, yes, you rated Justice League positively, but you are not the person that I want to rate Justice League positively. We're doing that cherry pick thing and I... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just it's not cherry picking it's that he's yeah. an enigma okay so his his call up he gave atomic, Valerian yeah, a fresh rating his call up for Atomic Blonde is Atomic Blonde is junk he gave Transformers <laughs> the last night a fresh rating what somehow and, he he also, gave, okay somehow he gave Baby Driver a positive rating even though you read his review and it was not kind Armand is a goddamn enigma he Good lord. King Arthur, he gave fresh. He gave Boss Baby a Fuck. fresh rating. No. Fuck you, Armand. No. God damn it. Oh my god, he is he is an enigma. He is all over the board here. This is fascinating. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a special Armand episode. No, because no, then, <laughs> then he will find us and he will reach out to us and I do not want to deal with that right now. <sighs> uh, Anyways, I just get out. And keep getting mad, but yeah, get out. And, I, so, I'm, what do you, what do you, do you think it has a shot of winning? Um, not putting your personal. No, I honestly, I don't know. I, I, in a perfect world, I feel like it could, but this is not a perfect world. I feel <laughs> like, I feel like ultimately there are still, we haven't seen the complete shift towards a more diverse Oscar voting base. Like we're starting to see it, but it's still even not after, even after moonlight. Yes. But I don't know. It could be, that could just be a response to moonlight kind of, of like, Oh shit, we really fucked up <laughs> how so, the whole moonlight thing was handled. I don't know. So what do you think is going to win? I honestly, that's the thing. I don't know. I feel like it's a toss up at this point because there are so many things that, it just depends on what what perspective is the most dominant here. If it's the old white people who think that Three Billboards is doing the best, or if it's the more diverse audience that is kind of arguing for the more underdog movies. Like, I genuinely don't know. Uh, yeah, I I know we're we're kind of partly in like an echo chamber of having. <laughs> In terms of like Twitter and all the the sites we visit, and Get Out gets talked way more than something like Phantom Thread, where Phantom Thread has little to social relevance. Yeah, uh, here's, to... here's what I was just thinking: is like if you, I don't know, what movie won Best Picture two years ago? I don't know exactly. <laughs> like. That's the thing. We we remember, we're going to, for better or worse, we're going to remember Moonlight because of A, how it won, and B, the cultural significance of how it won and of the movie exactly. as well. 
And I feel like Get Out is the like one of the few movies on this list that is going to stand the test of time and is going yes. to be like a flash. No one, no one is going to remember Phantom Thread or Three Billboards. Three Billboards yeah. is the crash of this award season. Like everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, that was the thing that happened that we shouldn't have let happen. Like. S- now you got me thinking. What was the best winner two years ago? So I'm looking that up now. I remember? Um, I can't, God. Oh. I, uh, what was it? Spotlight. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But see, uh, that see, was kind of like pure Oscar bait in see, a way. That Spotlight is in that same vein of um, the Post. Yeah. Exactly. It's a period movie where it kind of has relevance now, starring white actors that you know and like, but we're gonna move on from it. Yeah. Well, and um, like. Yeah, and then before that was Birdman, which like we both like Birdman. Yes. But it, but even then, it's there. There are a, there's a small subset of movies that kind of rise above being Best Picture nominees and kind of are justified in being that in terms of a cultural thing. And yeah, I feel like it's Get Out, and I don't know which other movies on this list. Maybe The Shape of Water. I, for me, if I had to bet, it's going to be Shape of Water or Get Out. Yeah. Those are the two I'm going to, I'd put money on. Okay. I, yeah. Those are the two I want to win. I'm not confident as to whether or not they will win. Only because Moonlight won last year. I I have more faith in Get Out having a real chance of winning. Yeah. I'm curious. Let me see what what the like Oscar bet is. Because I know there's always like a betting pool and stuff. Yeah, it, it's, I, and it, it'll, it'll just be great for Jordan Peele. Yeah, exactly. Um, and awesome. Daniel Kalula, I, I'm, I can't pronounce your last name, sorry, but he's having a great kind of past year between that and Black Panther. Yeah, and he just won like the BAFTA equivalent of like best new actor. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm like, he's having a really good year, which is great. Um, God, I can't tell. I pulled up a betting thing and I cannot for the life of me understand what any of this means. <laughs> All these numbers that are very arbitrary and it's very confusing to me. <sighs> yeah, I don't know what will win. I feel like it. this is this is a year where it's not very clear. But I'm... Yeah, I'm- that's why I feel like we could almost safely eliminate three or four of these movies yeah. and just have it narrowed down to three, which uh, I feel like the Academy should just do anyways every year. <laughs> but then, but then there's not this conversation around it. Yeah. Like we wouldn't have the episode that we're currently doing if that was the case. Oh, uh, wait, I got a Rotten Tomatoes had a video play automatically. I know. I know it did the same thing to me and it really annoyed me, but but yeah, I honestly, it'll it'll be really interesting to see what wins, and we'll talk about it. We'll do a whole episode yes. about what won, what didn't win, how the Oscars went, and all of that. Who was the best dressed? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what awkward joke did, I think, Jimmy Kimmel make? <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah. I think he's hosting again. What easy low blow political jokes are there gonna be yeah how many Merrill comments are there gonna be are they gonna shit on justice league of course they are <laughs> but yeah 
Well, so until then, where can people find you on social media? At their Chris Vito um, on the socials. How about you? At Hey, it's Jenna Lynn. You can find our show at Tomato Tomato Pod. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We, we have, have the emails. Yes. Uh, please leave an iTunes review. Please. Please. I don't mean to sound beggy or anything, but I'd love you for it. It would make us really happy. It really would, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all the plugs I have. Closing up the plug bag. <laughs> um, but yeah, until like we will be back on Monday or Tuesday to talk about what won and what didn't and all of that. But hopefully this episode is tiding you over. Um, yes. Until next time, keep watching movies. Except Phantom Thread. And except Bright. Oh, we didn't mention a thing. So Joel Edgerton gave an interview the other day where he said, He's totally fine with the fact that Bright got backlash because he feels it's exactly the same as The Last Jedi. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. So yeah. I'll leave you with that nugget. Yep. <laughs> yeah, don't watch Bright. Bye. Bye.